Acts chapter 15 is where we're going to be headed. And we are going to pick up in the 36th verse of chapter 15, and we're going to go all the way to the 15th verse of chapter 16 today. And as you guys make your way that direction, where we're headed is uh, into the second missionary journey of the Apostle Paul. So what we've covered over the uh, last several weeks from chapters 13 through 14 was the first missionary journey of Paul and Barnabas. And after they were completed with that journey, they made their way back to Antioch, which was the home church for the Gentiles. They were sent off, commissioned from that church there in Antioch. And it was a, a very much a growing and a progressive faith that was happening in Antioch. And as they were there, the church in Jerusalem sent teachers over uh, in order to instruct these Gentiles and Jews, this new uh, young church in Antioch. And as they arrived, when they arrived, they began to teach that not only did salvation need to be found in Jesus Christ, but that also the Gentiles had to be circumcised. And so they began to teach them that the law of Moses still applied in their life. And this caused great amounts of confusion because, as I shared with you last week, uh, some Bible math goes like this, that Jesus plus anything equals nothing. That his final words on the cross were uh, to tell us die. And it meant it is finished. The work is complete. The debt is paid. And so when we begin to apply works or apply anything that's necessary for salvation other than belief in Christ and confession with the mouth, if we apply anything else, we essentially negate the perfect work of Jesus Christ. And so we must tread very carefully in this. And so the question arose, do these Gentiles need to apply the law of Moses to their life or not? This was the, the impasse that they had, and a great amount of discussion took place in Antioch, so much so that they said, we got to go back to Jerusalem. we got to go back to the forefathers there. we got to listen to them and seek counsel. And so they had what is known as the Jerusalem Council for Bible scholars, and James was essentially the leader of the early church. He was the half-brother of Jesus Christ. And so after all this debating took place, we found as James ultimately gave direction like this. Uh, he said, first of all, uh, consider morality. Stay away from sexual immorality and fornication. A lot of these uh, acts would take place as a part of pagan worship. And so he wanted to make sure that morally they understood they needed to seek purity in their life in terms of the marriage bed. And so he encouraged them in this. And then the second bit of encouragement from James back to the Gentile church was concerning avoiding of idols and things sacrificed to idols. It had to do with sensitivity to their Jewish brethren. Because for the Jews, they were very concerned with idolatry and idol worship. And so much so that in particular, the area of concern was meat sacrificed to idols. So for the Gentiles that believed in Jesus and didn't care at all about Gentile faith, they also didn't understand that the Jews had a stumbling stone when it came to meat that had been sacrificed to idols. So for the Gentile, they would just go to the market and they would buy the Aldi meat, the two-for-one meat. Hey, I'm getting a discount on this ribeye. And so they would make the purchase there, not thinking about how it might stumble a Jewish brethren. And that's really what James is speaking to. Think about how this might affect them because you're mature enough to know you have liberty to eat that steak. But for them, if they knew it was sacrificed an idol, it might stumble or trip them up. And so the encouragement was uh, to live in the liberty that we have in Jesus Christ. And what I shared with you last week was that the law always says, uh, do this and live. If you do this, if you follow these rules, we'll live. The problem with that is we can't follow the law. We can't even keep the top ten list. And so the liberty we have in Jesus says, uh, live this and you'll do. It's very different. It sounds similar, but living it from the inside out, the next thing you know is now I, I get to do these things because Jesus loves me. I get to do these things because it comes from the inside out, not the outside in. And so this was the direction that they were given by the early church. And then at the end of our time last week, we looked at verses 34 and 35, is that it seemed good to Silas to remain there, and Paul and Barnabas also remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord along with many others. And so the church in Antioch, while the, these teachers went back to Jerusalem after a long while, Paul and Barnabas and Silas stayed to continue to teach. You can imagine what a dynamic church they had in Antioch with Paul teaching and Barnabas and Silas. I mean, that's the kind of church you want to go to. Not that I'm encouraging you guys to leave. 
going, but if these guys are teaching, I mean, maybe it's time for all of us to go listen to Paul and Barnabas. That'd be exciting. And so these guys were teaching there, and Paul gets it in his heart uh, to go back out on the missionary trail. And so we are going to pick up in verse 36 as they're going to set off for the second missionary journey. And then, after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us now go back, brethren, in every city, where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. And so in Paul's heart, he wants to go back and encourage the brethren, encourage these churches that they've already planted throughout this northern region of Asia Minor. And the thing I wanted to point out to you guys with that is when God puts someone on your heart, reach out. Don't delay don't let time pass, but instead uh, reach out. For Paul and Barnabas, they didn't have the idle phone. They didn't have the Satan song that you have in your hand, the ability to reach out almost instantaneously. They had to physically go or write letters. Much of our New Testament are letters from the Apostle Paul encouraging these churches that they had planted. But the thing to point out is that don't delay, that lots of times we'll have someone that, that God will put on our heart and we'll put that off, and what do you do? You forget. The same is true with praying for someone. I want to encourage you guys in this, and I know it's weird to do. I know that it's difficult probably, but when someone says, hey, would you pray for me, or they explain things that are going on in their life, I want to encourage you guys to pray. Not pray later, but pray right then and do it out loud in front of them. Again, I know it's difficult to do, but begin by praying in your house out loud, and then just grow that muscle. Uh, any of you that have worked out at all, you know that if you let a muscle just sit, what happens? It, it atrophies. It, it no longer has strength in it. And prayer as well, that if we exercise it, the next thing you know we'll be able to do is pray more. And when we had first uh, moved to Farmington and just coming back into church there at Parkland Chapel, Angela had met a lady through the homeschool PE group, and she was sharing with her difficulties that she was having in her life, uh, probably that her husband was a jerk, which case she's right. He is, but she was probably sharing something like that, and she was asking for prayer from this lady, and to her shock, the lady prayed right there in the Civic Center parking lot. I mean, Angela came home and shared that with me, and my first thought was, what a weirdo. <laughs> I mean, that is so strange, but, but secondly, how bold, how encouraging it was that she wasn't concerned about anybody around. Instead, it was just my wife, and how can I pray for you in this moment? And it is so uplifting when you just stop and pray for someone. So be encouraged in that. Now, verse 37. Now Barnabas was determined to take with them John, called Mark, but Paul insisted that they should not take with them the one who had departed from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And then the contention became so sharp that they parted from one another. And so Paul's got this on his heart to go back out on the second missionary journey. He shares it with his travel in Barnabas. Hey, Barney, let's go. Let's encourage the churches. And Barnabas is saying, yeah, man, I'm with you. Hey, why don't we also take Mark along too? And then the impasse. Why? Because what we found in the first missionary journey as Mark, who is Barnabas's nephew, was sent out with them, as he traveled, they went through the island of Cyprus. Things went pretty well in Cyprus. And then they got into the mainland of Asia Minor. They're in Pamphylia, and it was too much for Mark. He couldn't take the missionary trail. The, the situation was too hairy. There was a lot of stuff going on on these missionary journeys. They were literally going into Satan's lap. The people that were, were you know, entrusted to the, the devil, and they were stealing them away, and Satan didn't take it kindly. He attacked them physically and mentally and emotionally and spiritually. And so for John Mark, he had to bail. And Paul reminds Barnabas of this. Like, hey, this guy couldn't stick it out. He couldn't gut it out with us. We're not taking him. And so as a result, they had such a, a contentious argument, such a deep-seated argument that they actually broke up. They were no longer be travel companions anymore. I've compared John Mark to the original Yoko Ono. You're breaking up the band. You know, that's exactly what happened here in this spot. And so for uh, Paul and Barnabas, the question is, uh, who was, was Paul right or was Barnabas right? And the answer I would give you is yes. <laughs> yes is the answer. 
I mean, for Barnabas, his name, he was known as the son of encouragement. And you look, he's saying, I know this guy failed the first time. I know he had struggles, but I believe God can do a work in him. I want to encourage him and bring him along one more time. And for Paul, he has been given an evangelical charge. He knows, look, where we're going, we need people we can trust, people we can count on. They can't bail out on us halfway through any longer. I mean, Paul was so upset, notice he didn't even call Mark by his name. He said, I don't want to take him who bailed out the first time. I'm not even going to say who he was. And so this, this argument had become so intense, and yet they both had valid points. And so the question is, who was wrong? And I would say, uh, yes, they were both wrong as well. That what they should have and could have done was seek godly wisdom. They could have sought counsel in this area. Lord, how would you have us to go? Because ultimately, what we find is that God is going to get the most glory out of them splitting up. Now, when we look through Scripture, one of the things I love is that as these two split their ways, and no doubt this was some kind of an argument, that when you look at later on in the life of Paul, Second uh, Timothy, his final letter that he wrote to his protege, Timothy, as he's getting ready to face Caesar Nero and be put to death, uh, he writes this in Second Timothy 4.11, Only Luke is with me, but take Mark and bring him with thee, for he is profitable for the ministry profitable to me for the ministry. I, I stole the original King James for this reason. I love the word, is he is profitable. Your, your translation, if you're looking at the New King James, it says he is useful, but I like that even better. He is profitable for my ministry. This is a guy that he didn't want to have anything to do with, not even going to mention his name, but you see later on the maturity that happens. After the investment from Barnabas, what Paul now has to say through reconciliation is sin mark, he's so profitable for me. What we'll find is that if we don't have Mark, if he's not encouraged by Barnabas, we don't have any gospel of Mark. This is the writer of that particular gospel. You can tear it out of your Bible. and Not really, don't tear anything out of your Bible. But you could if you didn't have Mark here in this case. Now at the end of verse 39, And so Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and departed, being commended by the brethren to the grace of God. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. And so what you find is that even through uh, this subtraction, even through this division, uh, God sees multiplication. And oftentimes this is what uh, takes place in the body of Christ. We inhale, we exhale. If you're a pastor, especially of a small church, you like to inhale and just hold your breath. Because <gasps> we don't want to exhale anybody at all. Exhaling doesn't seem near as glorious as inhaling. But for the sake of the ministry, for the word to go out and be multiplied, we have to exhale. And as a little church, we've had to exhale a few times, very short exhales. But it, there will come a time where we'll have to exhale and send people off with blessings to go out and hopefully plant more churches, hopefully encourage people to share the word of God in their communities with people. But in this case, what you find is that even God is even able to take the differences of these two, this strong contention, and actually use it for his word to be multiplied. I love that about the word of the Lord. And so, with that said, we begin in chapter 16, verse 1, with Paul and Silas now heading on their way into Asia Minor, or that direction. And then he came to Derbe and to Lystra. And behold, a certain disciple was there named Timothy, a son of a certain Jewish woman who believed but his father was Greek, and he was well spoken of by the brethren who were at Lystra and Iconium. And so here we see Paul and Silas, they go in these places they'd already visited, to Lystra and to Derb, and Derby, however you say that. And as they go there, this is the community, you might recall when we studied it, uh, where they actually stoned Paul most likely to death. So Paul's idea was, hey, let's go encourage them. I mean, that might have been the last place I would have gone, especially if I'm the Apostle Paul. They just tried to kill me last time I was there. Now let's go encourage them. And as you think about this, you have to wonder in the back of Paul's mind, he's wondering, did I do any good? I mean, I've suffered great physical damage, spiritual, emotional damage from people who threw rocks at my face, but was it for any use whatsoever? Did anything good come out of that? And as he arrives, what he meets, the person he meets is Timothy. 
one who six different times throughout the epistles he calls my son in the faith. He meets this young man who was converted during the first tour of the apostle Paul. And he thought so highly of Timothy, he would refer to him as his son. But it wasn't just simply him being a son. If you go to 2 Timothy, that he writes to his protege, chapter 1, verse 5, you get a little bit of an idea about Timothy's background. He says, when I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, Paul's now encouraging Timothy, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded is so. And so he's speaking of his Jewish mother and grandmother who came to be believers in Jesus Christ. They were converted as well. And he's speaking to Timothy about this godly heritage. Yeah, your father was a Greek. He was not a believer by the way this appears. But remember your grandmother. Remember your mother. And I want to encourage you guys, if you're in here as a parent or a grandparent, uh, do not underestimate the value of a godly heritage. That what Paul is speaking to Timothy about is the importance of receiving an inheritance way more of value than anything we can leave our kids financially or physically. The world would tell you, make sure you leave things behind for them, right? Make sure you set up a 401k so it can be used for your retirement and then left for them after you're gone, or this account or that account. And I'm not shortchanging those, but understand the importance of a godly inheritance. When I think back to my childhood, and oftentimes I will give a hard time to growing up Baptist, right? But understand I do that, and at the same time I understand the value of my parents dragging me to church, making me go. What were they doing? They were investing in me and an inheritance in me. And I think about having godly grandparents. My grandmother would spend hours on the phone with women, seemingly talking nonsense. I didn't know you could say that many words to another human being, just talking and talking and talking. And yet what she was also doing at the same time is praying for them, praying out loud for these ladies and situations that were going on in their lives, understand the value of a godly inheritance. And so what does a godly inheritance look like? Now, these things are probably obvious to you, but I felt like the Lord wanted me to share them with you today. How can I leave a godly inheritance behind for my kids or my grandkids? The first one is pray. Pray out loud. Pray often. Pray over them. Do not miss the opportunity to pray for your kids or your grandkids. Lay your hands upon them, not to whack them. Sometimes they need that too. But pray blessings over them. Pray that into their lives. I am not bashful when it comes to laying hands on my children and praying blessings over them. Lord, bless them in this way. Father, give them a ministry. Give them a cause. Give them a purpose. Lord, speak into their lives. Pray like that over them. And do it out loud. Do it at the dinner table. Let them see you pray in a group all together. Exercise those muscles with the kids. They will not soon forget it. Pray with them. Secondly is read. Read the Bible. Read it out loud to them. Let them hear you read the Word of God. Leave it on the table open. Not closed with dust gathering on top. Let them see the things inside it. Highlights, marks, notes you've left tabs, if you will. Let them see you read the Word of God and discuss it with them. Because the reality is they're going to love whatever you love. If you love to watch football this afternoon, guess what? They're going to love it. But if you love to discuss the Word of God, if you love to study and reflect upon it, you know what they're going to love? The Word of God. And there is no better thing that you can leave behind than the love of the Word of God. I would encourage you as well when it comes to the Bible to leave your old Bibles for them. Let them see it highlighted and marked and notated. Uh, Angela had a dear friend that passed away a little over a year ago. Her name was Sandy Gallagher, and she was a prayer warrior. She died in a car accident tragically, but she loved Jesus, and she loved to pray. She was one of those that would pray out loud for you. If you let her know, she was going to let it rip. But one of the things that happened after the funeral is her daughter said, She was so excited. She said, Mom left me her Bible. We got to read it. We got to look over it. And there were highlights and notes. And as she was sharing that with 
my wife, she got emotional and she said, and as I look at the things she highlighted and the note remembered, those are things that mom sent to me. Those are things that so impacted her that she said, mom wanted me to know that and now I get to pass that along. That's a godly inheritance. That's something that, that hell and death cannot stop. Moth, rust can't destroy. And so leave those things behind because they're going to love it. And then finally, be real. Be vulnerable with your kids. Be vulnerable with your grandkids. When we put it out there like we're superhuman and we got it all together, guess what? When they have problems and they got struggles, you know what they're going to think? I can't share this because my parents didn't go through these struggles. My dad never broke down, and so I've got to be superhuman as well. They get this false perception of themselves because they don't know it's okay to be vulnerable. Share, laugh, cry with them. One of the things I love about being a parent and also hate at the same time is I get to be vulnerable with my kids. Because I mess up a lot, I get to show them what repentance looks like. A lot. Get to share with them. Kids, I, I didn't handle that situation with your mom well. You got to see that, and I'm sorry. I didn't handle that situation with you well, and, and would you please forgive me? Be willing to be real with your kids. It's a gut and something they can take with them and pass on. Now, this inheritance is so great. I'm not saying other inheritances aren't good. Some of you are like, oh, great. What do we do now with the inheritance we got? I want to encourage you, you can leave any inheritance to Brock A. Ashley, 2523 Carriage Lane. Sorry, I had to bring a little bit of levity. <laughs> I'm kidding. But you could leave me an inheritance if you want. A physical inheritance is not a bad thing, but it's not the best thing. So be encouraged in that. This is what we see happening for young Timothy. Now, verse 3. Paul wanted to have him, speaking of Timothy, go on with them. And he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in that region. For they all knew that his father was a Greek. And as they went through the cities, they delivered to them the decrees to keep, which were determined by the apostles and elders at Jerusalem. And so here Timothy's invited to come along. You're, you're a part of the band, Timothy. You come on along with us. And so Paul is now pouring into the life of Timothy. And I think I've mentioned this to you before. If not, I'll say it now. If you are a believer and you've been walking with the Lord, you need to have a Paul. You need to have a Timothy, excuse me. You need to have someone you can pour into. Because when we only receive and we never have anyone to share anything, we become like the Dead Sea. The Dead Sea is a body of water that has an inlet with no outlet. And if you hopefully get the opportunity in the next couple years to go with us to Israel, we didn't get to go this year, hopefully this coming year or the following, when we go, we'll go to the Dead Sea. And you know what you're going to find? It's dead. Everything's dead. There is nothing. It's brown and dead. But we're going to go look at it anyway so we can prove it to you. But this is what a body of water looks like that has an inlet with no outlet. And so too are our bodies. When we only receive and we don't get the opportunity to pour out, we become like the Dead Sea, right? There's no life taking place in us. So if you are a Paul, have a Timothy. And if you're a Timothy, you also need to have a Paul. And so for each of us, I would encourage you to have a, both a Paul and a Timothy in your life. Someone that, that pours into you and someone that you can turn around and pour into as well. And this is what he has with this young man. He comes along with him. And the first thing he does is he has Timothy circumcised. Whoa, wait a minute, Paul. I mean, if I'm Timothy, i got to be saying, hey, remember that decree that came from Jerusalem where you didn't have to follow the law? Maybe we could not, not do that right now. I mean, this seems like a really bad idea. I don't have to have the law of Moses applied in my life, Tim. Remember, later you're going to say to Galatians that Titus didn't have to be circumcised. Maybe I could go with Titus. That sounds like a great plan. And yet... Timothy is circumcised by the Apostle Paul. This seems like a contradiction in the Bible, but you see, uh, one thing actually trumps our liberty that we have in Christ. It's love. Love should always trump your personal liberty in Jesus Christ. And Paul addresses that in 1 Corinthians 
chapter 9, verse 19. He says this, For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win the more. And to the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might win Jews. And to those who are under the law, as under the law, that I might win those who are under the law. And to those who are without the law, as without the law, not being without the law toward God, but under law toward Christ, speaking of his liberty, that I might win those who are without the law. And to the weak, I became as weak, that I might win the weak. Here's the key phrase. I have become all things to all men that by all means save some. I have become all things to all men so that through me some might be saved. That's what Paul says. What he was sharing with them is that there is something more for liberty, and that is love. Agape love, self-sacrificing, a literal cutting away of the flesh. That's what was taking place here for Timothy. Yeah, Timothy, you don't need this for your salvation, but these Jewish brethren, they don't have the same faith you have. So in order for you to have audience with them, this is important for you to get access into their lives. In much of the same way, it's going to be with our liberties. There are going to be things that we have to give up that we're free to be able to do in Christ Jesus. And yet to reach people, to touch people, to have interactions, we have to give things up. We have to put away flesh in certain areas of our life in order that some might be saved. Now, verse 5. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and increased in number daily. I think that's important to point out, that the church increased in faith. That there are all kinds of programs and things that can be done to increase church attendance. I was asked early on, what is your plan to increase church attendance? What is your plan? How are you going to market this thing? And the answer was, in faith. (laughs) The the Holy Spirit's going to have to do a great work. And the reality is each and every one of you has been brought here not through a marketing program or some type of thing that we decided to go out and scheme and do in our flesh, but only by faith, the Holy Spirit. And time and time again, I get these pop-ups on Facebook. Would you like to boost this? Would you like to boost that? And I'm not knocking boosting things, but I know what's going on in me. was, heck yeah, I want to boost that. I'd like people to know and get it out there. But the Lord keeps reminding me, are you going to build this thing by faith? or by Facebook. I think you're going to do it by faith. And so there may be a time where we have to boost something, but the reality is we're not going to trust in that. That's not the thing that brings people in. What brings people in and grows a congregation is faith. Now, verse 6. Now when they had gone through Phrygia, Phrygia, I think I got it that time, and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. And after they had come to Mysia, they tried also to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. And so Paul's plan for taking the gospel after he had gone and increased and and encouraged these areas of the north and Asia, he wanted to go into the depths of Asia Minor. What he knew was this country that's known to us as modern-day Turkey, that there was fertile ground. There were people that needed to receive the gospel message, and yet each and every time they tried to go in there, the Holy Spirit them. Now, how exactly the Holy Spirit forbid them, we don't know, but what most Bible scholars believe, and these guys are super smart, so they probably got to have it down, is that it was through sickness that the Apostle Paul was stopped, that he wanted to go, and yet he came down so deathly ill, they had to stay with people and with churches that they had already planted along the northern region of Asia Minor. They weren't able to go in. And yet Paul was not a quitter, and so what's he do? He tries to go in again. I remember, this is a guy that got stoned to death in Lystra, and after the Lord raised him back up, he went right back into the city. So Paul was no quitter, not like me. I'm heading the other direction if I get stoned to death. He goes back in, tries to go back, he gets sick again. And so time and time again, what God does is he redirects Paul through physical struggles. Many times in our lives, he does the same for us. We seek the will of the Lord, want to know which direction he has for us, yet he allows a physical challenge, an emotional struggle. He allows something to happen in our life to redirect us, to get our attention 
And so he has Paul's attention now in this point. He is not going in to Asia. Now, in verse 8, And so passing by Mysia, they came down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. And so as they had passed through Mysia, they could, this city called Troas, and as Paul is sleeping, he receives a vision of the Lord. Here's Paul. He's got this message. He wants to take it into Asia Minor. He desires to go there for the Lord, and yet he has no audience and seemingly no place to turn. And so as he's in this spot, he's thinking, Lord, maybe I missed it. Maybe I missed your calling. I missed what you wanted from me in my life. And now God gives him a vision. When he's at this low point, he gets a vision. At the end of verse 9, a man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And so he receives a vision of a man in Macedonia. And now God is giving Paul direction, encouragement, that he needs to consider going a different direction. Paul, I've shut everything else down. Head now to Macedonia. Now there's some of you that would say, yeah, it would be nice if God would direct me through a vision. I would take a vision. That'd be nice. I would know at least I'm going in the right direction. And wouldn't we all? Like, we would all love some kind of direction from God in that way. So I'm going to turn with you to Jeremiah chapter 23. And this is going to speak to us about visions. Jeremiah 23, 28 says that the prophet who has a dream, let him tell a dream. And he who has my word, let him speak my word faithfully. Chaff to the wheat says the Lord. Is not my word like a fire, says the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks the rock into pieces? And so as we cry out, oftentimes in desire, Lord, would you just give me direction? Would you just give me a vision, something I can physically see? What he says through the pen of Jeremiah is, if you receive a dream, go ahead and tell it. Share about your dream. But him who has received my word let him speak my word faithfully. He goes on to say, what is the chaff to the wheat? He's comparing the dreams as chaff to the wheat, to the meal of the word of God. And what they would do in that day with the little grains of wheat, the head of wheat, is they would pluck it off the plant and they would take it and roll it around in their finger to break that outside chaff off. And then they would blow it. The chaff would float away. But what was left was the meat, the meal, the word. So what Jeremiah is saying, the Lord is giving him direction is, yeah, visions are great, but you know what? They're going to go away. But what is not going to go away is the word of God. The word of God is the meat. And so many times I, I hear people or I pray it myself, Lord, give me direction. What he's saying here is my word is like a fire. It is like a Turn back to the word of God. If you're seeking direction, this is the first place to go. And so I would encourage you to turn to him in his word if you're seeking direction in your life. Now, back to the text, verse 10. Now, after he had seen, this, he'd seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. And so what we see here in verse 10 is something interesting. Remember, Paul's got physical struggles. He's feeling sick. And as he's feeling sick, what's the one thing he needs? A doctor, right? He needs a doctor. And what we find here in verse 10 is the tense changes in the book of Acts. Previously, the tense was in the third person. It was they and them. And now what you see in this verse is now after he had seen a vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. It is believed that in Troas, Paul meets Luke, the writer of the book of Acts, also the good doctor. Precisely what he needed in that moment, God had already delivered to him there in Troas. He wasn't going to leave the Apostle Paul out there spinning, not having anything to take care of him. Instead, God gave him exactly what he needed when he needed it. And without this chance encounter with this good doctor, not only does Paul not have what he needs in his time of physical struggle, but we also don't get the book of Acts or the Gospel of Luke. If 
Paul doesn't get introduced to him, most likely. And so what I wanted to encourage you in is that if you're in that spot of some kind of struggle, be it physically, mentally, emotionally, through your family, understand that God is not in the business of wasting things. He is in the business of using every single minor detail for his good and for his glory. And that's precisely what we see happening here as Luke is introduced in the first person. Now in verse 11, Therefore, sailing from Troas, we ran a straight course to Simonthrace, and the next day came to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is the foremost city of Macedonia, a colony. And we were staying in the city, in that city, for some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went out of the city to the riverside, where prayer was customarily made. And we sat down and spoke to the women who met there. And so they now leave the country of Asia Minor, and they head into Macedonia, into a city known as Philippi. This is the foremost city of that entire region. If you love history, this is a city named after Philip of Macedon, the father of Alexander the Great. And so this was a Roman colony. Anyone born here was considered a Roman citizen. It was a very important city to the area. But what you also might notice is uh, the Apostle Paul, as was his custom, would go into a synagogue in a city was the first place he would go because the Jews had the oracles of Scripture. They were able to, to have the Old Testament text that Paul would teach out of. But in this case, where does Paul head? He heads to a river. Why? Because there was no synagogue. There was no synagogue there because there wasn't at least 10 Jewish males which are necessary for you to have a synagogue. We now understand they're getting very far away from Jerusalem. They're getting way far away from the home base. And so there was no synagogue there on the Sabbath. Instead, they went and met by the river. Now, how would Paul know to go on the Sabbath to the river? Well, before uh, they were deported, or after they were deported as a Jewish people from Israel to Babylon in 586 B.C., they had no place to meet together. They, they didn't have the temple to meet. They didn't have synagogues, which they had in the time of Christ and the time of Paul. And so what they would do there in Babylon, Psalm 137 tells us, is by the rivers of Babylon we sat down. Yet when we remembered Zion, they would go to the rivers of Babylon to have their Sabbath day meeting. So Paul knew this. He goes to the river that's located there close to Philippi, and when he arrives, he doesn't find a man, like the vision showed, but a woman. He finds a whole group of women. There's no man there at all. And I think it's interesting how God does this. He has this vision, this preconceived notion. Paul does, no doubt, I'm going to walk in, there's going to be a synagogue. I'm going to meet the guy there that I know I'm supposed to meet, and it's going to go exactly like it always does, and people are going to come to know Jesus. And yet he gets there, and there's no synagogue. Okay, I'm going to go to the river. I'm going to meet the guy that I saw in my vision, and he's going to accept Christ, and it's going to go like it goes, and people are going to come to know Jesus. And yet, there's no guys. It's only women. And so, God is shaking Paul up, wiping away preconceived notions. He does this oftentimes to us as well. And in verse 14, Now a certain woman named Lydia heard us, and she was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira who worshiped God. And the Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. And when she had received, and when she and her house were baptized, she begged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And so she us. And so here's the Apostle Paul. Literally everything has been shaken up. He wanted to go to Asia. He wasn't able to go to Asia. He gets a vision from the Lord. He, he's going to go to Macedonia to meet a guy in a vision. There's no guy. There's no synagogue. Everything is going wrong, and yet here's this beautiful collection of women so excited to hear the word of the Lord taught. They all actually come to believe. They're all baptized right there. Thank the Lord they were down by a river. Paul was able to baptize them. And then we're introduced to a new character, a lady named Lydia, who... We know a few things about thanks to these couple of verses. For one, we know her name, which in Greek translated means the noble one or the beautiful one. Beautiful Lydia. And she's a seller of purple. Now, purple in that day was actually a, a garment that was made after the murex snail was first 
harvested. And the murex snail, or these little purple snails, I put a picture up of them up there for you, and they excrete this purple dye. You can imagine how many of those snails you'd have to collect from the, the, from the waters there in the Mediterranean in order to make a purple garment. So needless to say, it was very expensive. It was an incredibly expensive process that would take place in order for them to make these purple garments so they could only be sold to rich people, royalty, the, the best of the best. Lydia's got this business there where she makes these purple garments. We're also told that she was a believer in Yahweh. So she was either a, a Jew, a half-Jew, or a proselyte. She converted to Judaism. She believed in God, in Yahweh, in Jehovah. She was there on the Sabbath day, so we know this about her. She had a heart that was ready to receive the Lord, and so did her house. And so he leads her to this lady. We also know that she was from the city of Thyatira, we're told there, in verse 14. And what we find is, once again, God is always about getting the most good for the most people. So what Paul had in his mind, he had the way the map should go. He planned it all out. This is where I'm going to head. And no doubt had good things in his heart. I'm going to go hard for Jesus in this area. Lord, you're sending me out. I've got it all mapped out, all ready to go. But you see, oftentimes our map doesn't match up with Jesus' map. He has an entirely different plan in place for the Apostle Paul so that the word could go forth. Now, one last place in Scripture I'm going to take you is in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. Many of you probably have this one memorized or on your wall, but it's certainly worth highlighting in your Bible. What Paul says to the church in Ephesus was, For we are his workmanship, Christ Jesus, for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I love that verse because what it says to me is that the works that God had in mind for us, he actually made even before we were born. He had you in mind for a specific work, a place that he wanted to put you, a dot on the map he wanted you to be for a particular good work, a group of people for you to be able to speak to. And he had this all in mind even before the very foundation of the earth. And so as we get ready to close, I'm going to share with you now a map. I know, right? So glad I came to church today. The conclusion of the message is a map. Thank you so much, Pastor, for showing us a map. This is going to be moving and touching for sure. But this map, which hopefully you can read, is of the second missionary journey of the Apostle Paul. And where he desired to go, leaving out of Antioch, which I'm going to stand, don't freak out. I thought he always sits. This time he's going to stand. I got this cool laser pointer, if you can see it on the screen. But in for Paul, he started in Antioch, which is over just north of Syria. He leaves from Antioch and then heads up towards the churches they planted on the northern region of Asia. He desires to go down into the continent of Asia Minor. And instead, where he ends up is up aft in Macedonia, in Philippi, speaking to this lady who is harvesting these murex snails on the bottom of the Mediterranean, seemingly far away from where he wanted to go, right? And so here's where Paul ends up, a much different spot than where he had planned to go. But what did we just read about this lady, Lydia? She was from the city of Thyatira. When you look right in the middle of this map, in the middle of Asia, what you're going to see, hopefully you can read it, is a town called Thyatira. She was from the very place that the Apostle Paul had in his heart to go. Paul wanted these people to hear the word of God taught. He wanted them to be saved. He loved these people. But as much as he loved them, Jesus loved them more. He loved them so much that he traced a pattern, a journey for the Apostle Paul so that he could have access, so the word of God could have access to these people, not through Paul, but through Lydia, through a lady who had connections, through a lady who had as a seller of purple, people that were of means and of wealth, and she knew everybody from this area. And so no doubt the church that was planted there in Thyatira was planted as a result of one lady, a seller. 
And as you look through the seven letters written to the seven churches in Revelation 2 and 3, they were all written to churches in Asia Minor, one of which is the church in Thyatira. You see, God was all about these people coming to the saving knowledge of Christ. It just wasn't the way the Apostle Paul thought. And I think as we think to our lives and the dots that we go on and the different places that this journey actually takes us, it's not all about a destination. We get really excited about having an ending destination, a goal in mind. But what God is all about is the journey. Our destination, if you're a believer in Jesus, it's already set. You're going home to be with your father someday. Everything else in between those two points is a journey. He's going to put you in contact with people, maybe through struggles financially, maybe through struggles emotionally, physically. He's going to allow things to happen in your life, not to punish, but to encourage. Not to beat down, but to actually have his word pressed into your heart and into the hearts of others. That's precisely what he's done here for the Apostle Paul. The word of God was going to go forth, and Paul had no idea how this journey was going to go. The same is true for you today. Your life is a series of dots, journeys that you've been on. It could not have been that you would probably be here today. It certainly didn't predict I would. (laughs) And yet God knows best. He knows best, and he has a plan in mind. He has a perfect plan, a workmanship for each and every one of you. And so, Father God, we thank you, and we praise you that we don't know the end of the story other than we know we get to go home to be with you. (laughs) So I guess in that spot we do know the end. But we have no idea where the journey is going to take us in between times. Lord, thank you for the way you take our heart's desires and you turn them into action. You take the things that we think are meaningless and in fact lots of times just downright painful and you turn them to good. Lord Jesus, we thank you and we praise you in all these things and we trust that you have our best interest and the interest of others in mind. Father, give us faith as a people to trust in the journey and to trust in the one who's mapping out the journey. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, would you please stand?
church said amen all right thank you guys um many of you don't know this but uh jake doesn't actually consult me with his song choices <laughs> he actually prepares song lists way before the message is ever written and so when we close in a song like that that ties directly into the message understand that's god's way of wanting you to trust wanting you to actually listen wanting me to actually listen that he's got a perfect plan. I don't know what it is, but he certainly does. And his desire is for us to trust. That's where faith comes in. So I want to encourage you guys this week to trust in what Jesus has for you along this journey. God bless you guys. Have a great week.